Hi, this is Mike Stern, and this is Coffee Talk. Hi, this is Lini Stern. This is Coffee Talk. Hi, everyone. I'm Kim Furlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley College of Music, and welcome to another Coffee Talk. As usual, we are joined by Assistant Chair Cheryl Bailey. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, what's up? Hey, Cheryl Bailey. Woo! And our senior coordinator, Ian Steed. Hey, Ian. Hey, Ian. Ian. Our special guest today, Lainey Stern. Yeah, And Mike Stern. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. We're really thrilled to have Mike and Lainey, who are alums of the department and have been our guest artists all week um, here on Coffee Talk with us. So, welcome back. Welcome back home. To your guitar home. Um, pleasure. So we've been drinking coffee all week and hanging out together. But um, Lainey, everybody wants to know from all of all of our guests on Coffee Talk, like, how do you take your coffee? Like, what's your preference? I like a cappuccino. I like just a little bit of foamed milk. In it. I have to get my coffee. Hold on one second. Okay, keep going. Mike's getting his coffee. Go ahead, Lainey. What else oh, do you like? Bird. And I like, sometimes I like a flavored coffee with a little bit of vanilla in it, or maybe a little bit of chocolate, like a sort of like, you know, Cheryl, Vienna, mocha in it. Me and Cheryl, we just played at program best in, in, uh, in Vienna, in, in two different bands, but the, the coffee mocha they make in Vienna, it's like a cappuccino with a little bit of chocolate in it, like dark chocolate. It's so good. So that, that's my coffee. Mike, what about you? What do you do for coffee? I like um I like coffee with my sugar. Ah. I, like, I like a lot of sugar, unfortunately, in my coffee. But I'm I'm trying to cut down on the sugar. The coffee I like because it wakes me up sometimes. Let's see if it works today. Let's see. <laughs> Need more. So you guys, you drink coffee like all day, all night, like when you're practicing and everything at night too, or no, Mike? Yes or no? Yes, sometimes, but not too much. I try to cut back to decaf at about at eight. Okay, <laughs> at about eight. At about eight. Yeah. But then, if Michael like wants to rehearse some fast tunes, I switch back. <laughs> so I can't play like chromosome with a decaf. I gotta have some recall. Yes, you can. Yes, no, I can. <laughs> okay, so another thing that a lot of people listening are thinking about is that they're pretty new to Berkeley. And they want to know what your first days were like. So, Lainey, do you remember like some of your first impressions of Berkeley as a student? When I came here and I had to register, there was like a huge long line. That's the most guitar players I had ever seen in one place. Like I come from Munich, Germany. And I think mm. at that time there were like 800 guitar players and four female guitar players. And they were all out in the line on Mass App. And I was standing there and I was thinking, oh, what have I done? This is like a farm. This is a guitar farm. <laughs> but then I got to study with John Damian and everything became amazing and very fun immediately. Mm. Mike, what about you? What do you remember about the first times? You were here as a student. Well, you know, I was here, first time was the summer that I was mm -hmm. here in 1970 or something like that. I think 70, it must have been 70. And and that was cool. 
and got my ass kicked a little bit. And was that of, for the five week program, a summer program, or was it a semester? No, it was just five weeks. It was just a summer. You, you went to five weeks. Yeah, something okay. or five week or whatever they had. Yeah. It seemed like it was five, maybe. Yeah, that's a, my first was a summer program too. And and that was a long, you know, and and so, uh, and it was Berkeley School of Music then. It wasn't accredited right at that point. So. But it was great right away. I kind of dug the the vibe and the and the great teachers and all that stuff. And then when I just started coming here regularly, so then I decided I'd like to go regularly. And then then it was even better, you know. And I was and it's it's the same kind of thing that I get a sense of now that everybody learns from everybody, especially all the students learn from other students. And this and the teachers are amazing. And uh, amazing players and amazing uh, teachers, you know. So, I mean, who are as good as anybody on the planet. I mean, really just extraordinary um, players and teachers. And like Cheryl is incredible. We played today and she was kicking my ass. She sounds so, she's such a swinging, all the lines, everything, burning. And Kim is an awesome classical guitar player who's now branching out and doing more the other kind of stuff also. She always has been, but it's it's on an amazing level. I mean, we were listening to your record from Yale that you did. Thanks. And we were just blown away. So, and that's just, a, that's just a couple of you guys. So there's a bunch of teachers on that level. And so it's amazing. And the world needs more of it. You know, we, I mean, especially nowadays, we need the arts, we need plenty of music. And this place is uh, is waving the flag for that. You know, it's really happening. And you guys met here, the two. We of you met here. Yeah, that was the best part about it. <laughs> well, we met here, and, and I was, I had already finished. Uh, I went for like two years, then stopped and took a. I think that yeah, and then I took a year off. And kind of played in some blues and rock bands in Washington, D.C., where uh, my parents were living at the time. And then I came back to Berkeley, and uh, and I'd already studied a little bit with Pat Metheny, and I was studying some with Mick Goodrick uh, before I took this little break. And then I came back and resumed that, and Pat heard about a, a gig with um, that they were looking for a guitar player so he said he hooked up an audition for me from Bobby Columbia, who was the drummer for Blood, Sweat, and Tears at the time. It was the first instrumental mm. horn band, you know, kind of right. rock, blues, uh, you know, jazz rock band. And and um, uh, so I so I got I did the audition thinking I'll never get the gig, and I got the gig. So I, then I was really in trouble. But I I never came. You know, I only um, I only. Uh, went to Berkeley for three years. I never graduated or, or anything, but but and I kind of wished I had because there was so much more I could have learned from a cat named Herb Pomeroy. I was going to take line writing the fourth year, but then I didn't want to turn down that gig. That's for sure. So mm-hmm. so I did that. But I met Lainey, uh 
after I came back uh, from Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and I was living in Boston and playing gigs with uh, Jerry Braganzi and, and Tiger Okoshi, who was teaching here for years and may still be. I don't know I if he, he is. Just, I think Tiger just retired. We just retired. Yeah. He was the head of the composition department. for When he was here, uh, when we were playing together, he was teaching, but not the head of the composition department. He was, I think he was teaching here and mm -hmm. at that point. And he was an amazing musician and still is and um so it was and then but i met laney at uh and we were just we just kind of one thing led to another which was wonderful you know and now we've been together for a whole bunch of years laney never wants me to say that we're married for 40 years because she said <laughs> her age but i say well we got married when we were three years old there you go so she's 43. <laughs> and Lainey, you studied film scoring as well as guitar. I studied film scoring composition. Mm. Joe Smith was like um, an amazing, amazing teacher for me because he was like very creative and very funny, very funny when he would like he would give us an assignment and I always had troubles with sticking to the assignment because like a melody, it would start with a melody and, you know, we had like, you know, you had like 12 bars and then like a bridge for eight bars. So, so we were given a form and I could never fit my ideas into the form. And he never gave me a hard time about that. You know, the reason why they do that is because when you're a film composer, the film determines what right. it is and you have to learn to be flexible. So, you know, I didn't end up a film composer because apparently that is not very easy for me. The way I compose, I became like just a normal composer uh, and uh, did, did not write much. But nowadays, sometimes I play on other people's film scores when they have to deal with the director and, mm -hmm. and all the cray cray. And I can just play my guitar and play beautiful arrangements. It's but really Joseph hard, right? study uh -huh. film scoring is really a whole different thing isn't it was is that what he was teaching mainly no joe swift was teaching he was her pomeroy's assistant and he was teaching composition and i also planned to go to line writing after they were line writing like you had never made it because you got the gig with miles and we moved to new york and there went my line writing <laughs> oh but i was in new york so this is all Miles Davis's fault, all this. Yes, Miles. You could still come back and do it. And you know, it we now have a way that, you know, people can come and, and study how to play in film, like how to do the guitar part of the film collaboration. We started that because so many guitar players now get hired to play in films. Right, right, right. Wow. And so we started a collaboration. David Tronzo teaches the the guitar end, and then the guitarists in his class get hired to go play the film scores in oh, the studio. Really? Yeah, like, so we've been, we so just kind cool. of kept that thread, you know, that thread through right. that you were in in the, more in the earlier years of that. Yeah, it was like, because you had, as a composition, you had to give an instrument, and that was the great thing, the difference between Germany. In Germany, I, I studied composition in Germany, but they were like, you have to play piano and violin. And right. I played piano, so they let me slide with that. But they kept on me about like, 
you know, you have to be working on your violin because you have to play the proficiency in me. I had no interest in learning the violin. I already was trying to learn how to play the guitar. I mean, how many hours are there in the day? So when I came to Berkeley and they don't have these kind of rules, you could just, you want to learn how to play guitar, you play guitar. You don't have to play violin if you're in the composition department. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, I see the wisdom of these rules because now that I have written for violins, I've picked up a violin to just see like, what does this thing do? And like, what is hard on this instrument or not? As a composer, it's always good to know. Like I used to play the stuff. I used to write the stuff for the saxophone and Mike Brecker would play it. And I would say like, is this off your saxophone? And he would say, not off my saxophone, of course. <laughs> but, you know, it just goes to show you, I didn't know how to really write for the instrument because I didn't understand what's hard and what's easy. You know, on the guitar, those chromatic, like, moody lines, on the saxophone, they're really easy. On the guitar, you, like, have five different fingerings and then you got to decide. Well, it's not made for that. So I, I, I learned a lot, actually, from just, like, uh, you know, the film scoring department was good because we had all the students we could write for. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you write something and then they play it and it does not sound like what you had in mind. And that's a really good lesson because you have to, uh, if you want the music to write, sound good, you have to write for the for the instruments. And I really appreciated that I had all these people that could play all these different stuff. It's like you have like a big box full of crayons of colors mm -hmm. that you can work with. That's what's what I love. You know, when I worked in Germany, I had to decide on a piece of paper who was going to play that. And, you know, I would go and have friends that were musicians and say like, let me hear what that sounds like when you play that. Like I had a friend that played the vibraphone and I, you know, I said, oh, okay, this is what that sounds Because sometimes it doesn't sound at all like what you think it's going to sound like. Mm -hmm. So here at Berkeley, that was perfect that you had all these different instruments. And I think it made a really good composer out of me because I just knew, but usually by like I'm around something and it sounded horrible, but it sounded great on the guitar. I come to the recording and I say like, why does this sound so bad? Because certain things are hard to play in tune on certain instruments. Right. You know, if you write really hard shit, the people are going to have trouble. Like on the trumpet, certain things you really shouldn't do because unless you have Randy Brecker or Tom Harold, it's not going to sound good. <laughs> you know, and you can't count on having that. You know, you have to be able to write. And that was like, it was like a really cool workshop as opposed to the German conservatory where you had to study you know, Stockhausen and counterpoint. Also, you know, they made me study counterpoint again here. Mm -hmm. And I was like a little less unhappy the first time because I was kind of good at it because I had done it in Germany and they're really fussy about counterpoint. That's their pride and joy. So they like really go to town in torturing you with that. <laughs> now, did you, but did, did they have counterpoint here though? As kind yes, of? Yes, they did. We had to study counterpoint, it's but they were not as species. Yeah, species yeah. yeah. kind of a gradus uh, at panasum. It was the same thing because in the composition department, you know, we practice scales and arpeggios. For composition, you gotta practice composing. You can't just like sit down and think it's gonna fall from the sky like the rain. And composing uh, and counterpoint is like what Bach and all of those guys they used. That was how they practiced composing. Mm -hmm how they wrote different lines. And then, you know, you go to three and four part harmony. And we went through all of that here in the composition department. It was really, really good. And it was kind of nice for me because I felt a little out of place being from Germany, but that, that traditional part of the composition, I was really good at even so I didn't know like how to swing, you know, what is swing and where did that come from? 
that's what got me to Africa afterwards because or anybody would ever say like when I asked like like how do I can so I'm from Germany how do I like really swing and they said yeah it comes from Africa and then they wouldn't say like anything else and it really didn't tell me very much of like how I could swing better they said like oh it comes from Africa I said okay Great. And now what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's what I love about both of you. So they tell you it comes from Africa. So she goes to Africa, right? (laughs) And she grabs every African musician that and will play with her and learns how to do it. And this is what I love about both of you because you're practicers. And so now you're talking initially about what you learned when you came here uh, years ago, but you were learning new things like an hour ago. You know, like Lainey and I were working together. You were like, we were, we swap lessons together. And so you were like learning some new things. And Mike, you were like stealing the triad, triad things from other people and working and practicing. You're just practicing all the time and you're always bringing people in. So your home became like a, your home became a workshop. Your home became grad school for generations of musicians have gone to your apartment to sit and practice with you or your hotel rooms or like practice rooms as long as you've done as much as I, you know, I, I like to do uh, what I kind of, you know, I guess it more or less started here, you know, just the uh, idea of just having some other people that are also students that were going for the same thing, you know, trying to learn, uh, trying to learn music, you know, and so we get together and try to improvise together over tunes and stuff like that so i i learned so much doing that that i try to do that at home too with different people or a bass player that's interested in coming over and shedding with me you know or another guitar player and of course laney and i we play together a lot too and and it's a so it's fun we we practice together different things so it's it's really but that kind of idea is what i learned so much from that uh kind of um uh, situation that was developed through it was just kind of a natural thing to do here was get get to right. different other players and, and learn so much and then because we were also getting all this information from the classes and we tried to put it together right away you know do, did the best we could with it anyway and it was you know so yeah yeah mike i have a question for you about that that you talked about in one of our classes this week um a lot of people are afraid to do that, to get groups of their peers together because they it really freaks them out. Like, in fact, I went to your master class today and there were a bunch of students I knew and they were like, I'm so nervous because all my friends are here and I'm afraid to sound bad in front of my friends. Right. And you really have become really comfortable with saying like, hey, listen, I'm nervous or I feel insecure, but it doesn't stop you no, that's from the being point. curious. That's like, the point. how do you do that? How, what advice do you have? I mean, like, I, I guess, you know, you just do it. Like I, my first, my first thing was I was, um, my first jazz gig was at Michael's jazz club. There used to be a little club on Gainsborough street that, that, uh, a lot of, a lot of us would try to get gigs at and play, right? And I remember the I finally got a gig there. This is, I think, maybe after I played with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It was, I think. And 
I still hadn't really played a jazz gig. I mean, I played with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, but not a jazz gig of my own or a trio. This was a quartet, I think. And I was scared to put, you know, everybody put up signs around the school to get people to come. I'm playing at Michael's on Thursday, you know, at eight o'clock, you know, and this is the band. And I would never, I was scared to put up signs. And I I was uh, studying with Pat and he said, uh, you know, I told him that. And he said, you got to get past that. That's all he said. I said, thanks for the advice. You know, I didn't, <laughs> thanks a lot. Can't you give me something else? But, um, but it was true. I mean, one way or the other, I had to work past it. And that's all he said. And so basically, I just kind of did it anyway. You know, you just, you you kind of, you can, it's, it's normal to feel those feelings and and uh feel you know nervous feel like your friends are gonna you know that's the scary part of, of putting your heart out when especially when you try to play and you're you're playing you're spending all this time trying to work on something and or maybe it's a song which is even harder when you write something and and you you feel very vulnerable at putting that right. stuff out and and so the, the main thing is you just do it and and it gets easier as you as you you know at first the first jazz gig i did three people showed up my my uh, you know at michael's this gig that i finally you know i finally put up one sign i think saying you know anyway three people showed up my my um my, I couldn't hold the pick. I, it was I was so scared. Yeah, I've dropped it about three times. I was shaking so bad. Everybody left. The band was the quartet. Three people were in the audience. You know, we outnumbered the audience. Everybody split. So the club owner said, "Well, you know, I don't think you need to play the second set." And I went, "Oh, geez, that's great. A first jazz gig. Boy, things sure went well." not so so the the next gig i think it was actually worse and then the third one got better and you know yeah. so and you just keep going I, I at that point i felt like i had nothing to lose i may as well just keep going you know and so so it just it uh, that's what happens and it's still yeah. like that sometimes there are times when you show up you you posted everywhere and no not that many people show up at a gig for whatever reason and you just got to do it anyway and try to just you know enjoy it and try or best you can or get through it and and uh and accept whatever it is and then there are times when everything goes much much better a lot of times when everything goes better and and you learn so much from playing gigs so it doesn't matter it's like you have to look at it and readjust your expectations sometimes expect to feel a little awkward and nervous especially if you haven't done that many gigs if you haven't experienced that much you expect that and then you have to expect uh, uh not expect great success you know like oh boy this is it i'm gonna you know you know i'm gonna be uh you know a you know the rolling stones next week you know i'm gonna outsell them you know what i mean it's not going to be you got to keep it on the ground and and the major the main guarantee about all this stuff is that you'll have music in your life if you if you if you want it to keep it you know and it's up to you it's up to the individual to to keep it happening and in order to keep it happening you have to 
kind of water the flowers, as I like to say, water the flowers. So it sounds a little corny, but you have to. You have to kind of practice every day and keep it happening. And then you get better, and the chances are you get more gigs and more chances to, to you know, it gets better, you know, as, as you get more opportunities. And, and, and John Laporta, who was a great teacher who was here for years and taught here, used to say, uh, and no one can take that away from you. You know, you, once you get into music and you have it in your heart, you get a little fluent on all these scales and all this stuff and it starts becoming music, no one can take it away from you. You know, you can take it away from yourself and no one else. It's yours, you know. That's a guarantee. That's a lot just there. And then you got to think that yeah. there's no guarantees, but the odds are, you know, you, then you keep going, you get better, and you got more chances of getting gigs, teaching, and making money doing this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and and the, and it's a good chance, you know. And some people have to do gigs that they don't want to do for periods of time because things slow down, you know. Right. But you just keep it anyway because it's it's you know, something you love. Most, I think probably everybody in this school that comes here wants to have music in their life. They want to play as yeah. best they can. They can't give it up. I mean, that that's already, that interest is amazing. And they got to just keep, keep, keep it happening and readjust the expectations that it's going to be hard sometimes. And sometimes it's a hell of a lot easier than what I'm saying. You know what I mean? What I'm talking about, it can be, but there's ups and downs. And yeah, normal. it's normal. But what you get as a guarantee is music in your heart and your life, and and it's that's a, that's a lot. A lot of people don't have stuff like that, you know. Yeah, you know, Lainey. On a related note, another thing that it's hard for people to wrap their mind around is how do you start getting people to play with you? And you know, when you're a composer, you're writing your own music. You want people in your band when you want to learn music from another culture. How do you get people to bring you in or bring them in? And you were giving some of the students some good advice last night about how you how you built these amazing bands with great players. But you and, go you go you go out to hear music a lot, and if you feel somebody, if you hear, if chances are you're going to hear somebody that just kills you. And then you just take a deep breath. And well, first thing is you go and tell you them. Take a deep breath. You tell them like, I love the way you play. And then you're going to have to take a deep breath and say, would you ever consider playing a gig with me? And, you know, sometimes they may say, you know, I'm in so many bands already. It's going to be really difficult, but we can just jam. But most of the times they are delighted. Because you're going to do all the hard work of getting up, dealing with the club owner, dealing with how anybody can get there, getting equipment for everybody. Like, you know, some people bring their own stuff, but you are in the end responsible for everything. So if you take on that job, you'd be surprised. A lot of people are so happy that they just have to. I'm like right now playing in Michael's band. And I'm so happy because all I have to worry about is like take my guitar, learn the music and come and play. So what you're offering to people is something really luxurious and really wonderful. And most people feel that way. So I, uh, you know, when I first got to, to, I was very scared of getting a gig because I thought like I used to get so nervous. My lips would get stuck to my teeth. So if I smiled, my lips would stay out. <laughs> <laughs> and then the only way you get it done is 
Because you're not going to hang that off. It looks horrible. So you have to like turn to your head. <laughs> lips lose from your teeth because they're stuck here because your, your mouth is dry because you're like oh my god oh my god nobody's gonna come oh somebody came it's like you know it's like no we first you think nobody's come but you like relief nobody's scary came like my first gig here mick goodrick showed up and he had disguised himself as to not scare me but he wore this outrageous hat and, and claire daly who played alto saxophone in my band she said like Who's the guy with the hair? And I looked and said, <laughs> Wait, why? He, he thought he would make you less nervous if he wore a weird costume? <laughs> no, he thought, he thought they couldn't recognize him. He thought they wouldn't know it's him. But it was like he wore like such an outrageous hat that everybody looked, oh, who's the guy? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> made his, his disguise made people look at him more yeah of course of course i was really touched that he knew that he would like make me so self-conscious about oh what would mick say if he heard that you know like horrible <laughs> but you know then i got busy like counting off the band and like trying to play the music and remembering everything i had to do and playing a nice accompaniment to claire daddy was just me no piano player you know and an alto saxophone so i got busy just with the music and that's usually what happens you like nervous once you know as nervous as i get in any situation once the music starts you too busy to be nervous and like sometimes you of course like we play we play nervous you know i played bill fusel was like my teacher he was i started with john damien and also bill was john damien's star student so i started with bill fusel and when we both moved to new york he said you know you should like start playing some gigs and i said oh no 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 no, no. and he said like you know what if you get a gig i'm gonna play he didn't think i was gonna get a gig but like you know i was like pretty young European girl and I went to a Brazilian restaurant and said, can I play here? And the guy said, of course you can. He <laughs> 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 was sitting in the window of the Brazilian restaurant playing standards together. And I kind of figured out that it is not the end of the world and my teeth will, <laughs> my lips will eventually get unstuck from my teeth. And then Paul Motion told Keith Jarrett to go to hell and found himself without any jobs. And and Bill said to me, said like, you know, Paul, he doesn't have any work. We should just hire him so he can work a little because I guess, yeah, he shouldn't have told Keith Jarrett to go to hell after he was booked for half a year. And now he doesn't have any work and he was thinking of going to Vegas to play. And Bill was like totally scared. So we got Paul to play with us. And I remember the first gig, Oh my God, my lips was the whole time like this. And I was like so scared. And Paul was a real joke. So he said, he looked at me seriously and said, count it off. And I was like, out of a tune and he was laughing like crazy and he just eventually started playing because he just I must have looked like really funny like being so nervous and like standing there in the middle of the club and of course because Bill and Paul was playing every drama in the universe was at the 55 bar and and and, and everybody said okay and he announced the band <laughs> I was so sorry I had like you know Bill like with this quiet way he had roped me into this whole thing this was not my idea and I was not amused and then when Paul started playing all of a sudden I'll never forget that I felt like I was a real guitar player 
even though I played the same as I always played, but I looked at the solo and I felt like, whoa, I don't sound half bad. And that thought had never crossed my mind. But he made you sound good. He made everything you played special. And he structured your solo for you. And after I stopped, the audience applauded. You know, I hadn't done anything to deserve that about, but Paul structured the sound. And then, you know, Bill was in his rock time, went to the moon with this, and we became very popular. That's how that's I got to great. That's how I that's always great. did that, because I realized, you know, I think Joe Smith might have said that to me, that if you want to hear your songs, your music performed, you're going to have to go through the rigmarole of becoming a band leader so that people play your music. That's how your music will stay alive. You're going to have to find people. So he said, get good at that. Mm -hmm. Get good at hooking up with people. And I think he also might have said, if we should get together and play each other's songs so we know that they sound good. And he was very smart because whenever we did it and somebody else played my melody, they sounded better than when I played it. So... I would get together with people and we would play our songs for each other. And, and that's really what the band was. And that's kind of the joy I got for it. I knew like I wrote something and agonized over it in my house and was like my overcritical self. And then Bill Fizel would play the melody and I would think like, well, yes, it's a song. I was very happy because he made it. You know, there is this thing that the old... Um, Broadway guys used to do, they would like always have these like stupid melodies to play, like somewhere over the rainbow, you know, like corny stuff. And they. That's not corny, that's a great tune. You don't tune. mean that. You don't mean and that. Action, like, like another, like, you know, no, like no, silly, no. silly, silly songs. And they would find a way to make a good song out. You know what I mean? Like they would play silly songs and they would sound like a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like no, it's true. It no. And they would change the melody and change the phrasing and all of a sudden it was a true tune. Um, wow. So that's kind of what happened when I brought my compositions to players that had more experience than me and they knew how to shape a song and how to, mm. you know, how to make something sound right. And I was real, real lucky with that. You know, but they were always good tunes. I just think, you know, you you had the same thing. I think that she has the same thing as I'm sure you have the same thing, Cheryl. I'm sure Kim, you we have the critical faculty sometimes oh. that goes crazy and beats ourselves up, you know, like, well, we can't, you know, we're not it's not a good song, it's not a good whatever. And it's it's a good to have a critical faculty and just to criticize yourself and because uh, it makes you improve but you can't go overboard with it because then you'll never do anything you know you just talk yourself out of not doing stuff so uh do you so think playing with other people like both of you have like famously been like side people in other people's bands and then you've been band leaders and sometimes with the same people mm -hmm. like i was in his band he was in my band that kind of thing exactly do you I feel like that has helped you with some of this or is it a different mindset totally for you no it helps a lot with the same yeah. kind of thing yeah and the main thing is just to like anything else to keep it simple and just do it no matter what you know just to compose no matter what i mean how hard is that though laney isn't that hard to do well Nobody. you know for me it's actually not that hard because 
all that stuff that I thought was useless that they made me do in Germany and then in the composition department here, like I did counterpoint three times. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it just means I practiced a lot of, of writing, you know, all of those like studies of intervals that they do in classical music. It made it a little bit easier for me. But didn't you have to read? Like every morning and, and write a... And write a counterpoint thing. Like didn't you? Album. You had to do that recently with that guy, right? You yeah, did with Paul Caputo. I, so I did. I did it the first time in Germany. The second time at Berkeley with Joe Smith, and the third oh. time with Paul Caputo who was like a Schoenberg. And was music. it like kind of going going through the same thing at the, all the time? Or did it get easier the third time? It did get easier because I had an easier time writing melodies and I got better at composing but these things are designed to be a challenge you know they put little trippy things in there so that you have to not fall in the pit that they make for you they make it so that you mess up and then you know it's it, the exercises to to challenge you so right. it's always a challenge and if you don't fall in one pit you fall in the other one you know right. <laughs> it's always, there is no 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 end to that but it just makes it more um you know if you just write counterpoint all the time it's not your composition there's no ego attached to it of mm. course it's your melodies and 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 yeah of course with Edgar Grana for 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 classical composition and mm. Um, but it's just important to to practice to practice composition. I mean, I have like what you talk about the agony of composition is that you get stuck. Like you have you write uh, 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 you write an A section and you can't find a B section to go with that. So you can just do like rain shoulder and write a very short tune, which I think is the best solution to the problem. Or you modify everything so that it finally fits together. So these like problems that arise when you compose they can drive you a little nuts and and, totally. and make you want to like throw the whole thing out you know like do crazy shit like tear up the page like <laughs> run out of the house push the music stand over and like talk to the cat you know <laughs> if you try if you try really hard to and then listen listen when the cat talks back yeah what did you say <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cheryl, I know that you have so many things on your mind, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Like, I, yeah, well, first of all, thank you. I mean, you guys are so cool to come here and hang with us. And there's so many things over the couple this days. It's a pleasure. It's a big, big pleasure. There were so many moments over the last couple of days and in this conversation that I, I – it's going to be so important for our students to, to hear here. And one thing, both as a composer and an improviser, you have to do it. You have to do, do anything well. Or you were talking about reading. You can't, people say, I, I'm not a good reader. I'm like, well, what did you read today? Nothing. Well, you know, you have to do, this has to be something that you do. You get good at things that you do. But we also, this was so beautiful for both of you to say this to our students, because I have students that say, I, I, I can't do my audition or I can't do the same because I'm anxious and I'm scared. And I'm like, well, that's actually what we're saying is it's you, that's exactly why you should do it. Cause you're going to get better yeah. at that. And it so it was so beautiful for both of you said that this different times, like, well, I'm actually really nervous right now, you know, and you, you keep just, it's like that onion and you keep peeling the layers and the layers and the layers. But if you don't deal with it, 
it's just going to get worse. You're, yeah, you're not. And 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 to so it's beautiful for you to say that and for them to hear that because they they think, wow, Mike Mike and Laney are might have be nervous or be self-critical. Oh, okay, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm not yeah. going crazy. And um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I thank you for doing that. And you mm. and also you were just so positive to everyone you found their strengths everybody's strengths you know because every everybody can't be good at everything you know some people are you know it's like there's stories about um grant green and george benson when they'd go out in the club to sit in and they would call the other they call the tune that the other one they knew it wasn't their strong point mm -hmm. right so oh. you know, so you know you know stuff like that but 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 you think well what would george benson or grant green have a, something they don't feel confident about but everybody does right and right. i think that's the thing for our students to remember that it's we're all in this exactly. exactly so exactly. i thank you for bringing no, all these it's a good up. point you know i want to just tell that story again that in acting they tell you there was at the comedy francaise sarah bernard was the most famous french actress i don't know if you know she's a european thing she was fabulous and they were in the in the dining hall of the Comédie Française of the main theater, and this bunch of young actors were talking. There was this young, beautiful actress saying, "Like I don't know what everybody's talking about. I do not get nervous." And Sarah Bernard walks by and she said, "Don't worry, darling. It will come with the talent." Oh, oh but it means like if you care about music, if you have any talent at all, you're gonna be nervous because a lot is at stake because you know your heart is in it and you know if you suck you're gonna yeah. take that heart if you don't care about music there is no problem but if you do care if you love it with where there's love there is problems you know but there is also like happiness it's worth it yeah it's, it's worth all the it's that's the main thing it's definitely worth the working through the anxiety and there's no other way to really at the end of the day um there's little things you can do probably to to get you through doing a gig where you get nervous and you want to kind of manage your anxiety a little bit, but, uh, you know, people breathing exercises or some people just meditate ahead of time, or some people do a lot of drugs like the old days, but I don't do that anymore. Now I just feel nervous. And, but I always felt nervous. Drugs never helped actually that just to be very straight up, but, but that's where some people uh, do turn to and that's not a good I would not have advised uh, for that I, I would right. advise very much against it but you know the only way to really get past all this stuff is to do it mm -hmm. you know, is to really just like Cheryl just said you actually just have to do it and you get more experienced at dealing with whatever feelings mm -hmm. you have mm -hmm. the nervousness the anxiety and the and the and then it turns more into excitement Right. Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that gig I was talking about the whole time when I first played with Paul Motion and Bill Frizzell and Harvey was playing Harvey Swartz. Uh, the whole time I was telling myself, going to the gigs, like, why did I do that? Why did I, how did Bill treat me? Like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. How did I cut myself? I was the whole time in my head, I was thinking like, I wish I could just drop that right now and I wouldn't have to go there. It's like, how about I get an asthma attack? And like nothing happened. And after that first song, when I felt like I could play, I said like, oh, that's why I do that. 
So I get to feel like I'm walking on clouds. And Paul Motion and Bill Fizzell playing this super cool shit behind me. So we just got to hold out until you get to the reward. And sometimes it seems like impossible. And in your mind, it's like, it's going on. But if you can hang in there long enough, you're going to get to the happy place. If well, you I think practice, right? Huh? If you practiced. And that's the thing that you both do all day long. Yeah. I know this. For a fact, because I, <laughs> I have been there and I've seen the evidence. I showed up every day in the summer for like two months and you were practicing all the time, all the time, all the time. And I think that's what people have to know, too. You, There's courage there. You have to take the leap to really, really, really practice. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to kill yourself doing it, but a couple hours at very at the minimum, probably every day. And and uh, and you can find two hours, even if you got another gig you have to do for bread. It's also like, it's like a refuge. I noticed that when I was a little girl practicing piano, if I had done something bad and my mother was about to come and chew me out, if I was practicing, she would wait. So I practiced. Yeah, yeah. You know, I knew I had it coming. And by the time I was like done practicing, the steam was out of her lecture. <laughs> oh, here she comes. <laughs> and you get spanked later after you practice. <laughs> wait, Mom, I've got another hour. Yeah, like, like, oh, I'm practicing. <laughs> That's cute. But you know, oh, it's it's like a refuge from the world, also. You know, it's well, it's also fun. Yeah. It's also fun. You know, it can be really fun, obviously. It's just oh, yeah. You know, practicing can be a joy because you, you get start uh, getting more fluent at something. You start realizing there's some improvement. Just things that you were really hard at first become relatively easy. Mm -hmm. And then it's a groove. It's yeah. like, wow, that's fun. You know, you kind of look forward to it. And you see that that worked maybe the very beginning of a practice session where you're trying some brand new stuff that's kind of like pulling teeth a little bit but basically you know most of it is great you know it is really can be really a lot of fun but you do have to you get to that point of, of a, and especially if you can do it on a regular basis it's easier right you, you know, know I mean? both of you have um played with so many different people and mike i'm wondering i mean it doesn't matter who you're thinking of but are there specific people that you played with where you think, oh, I learned, I know I learned this thing from that person? You know, just like playing with someone else maybe taught you something you didn't expect to learn. Is there something that comes to mind? Oh, a lot, a lot of stuff. Would um, you be willing to share a couple things? Yeah, I mean, just playing with, uh, I was just thinking about Mick. I'm still, obviously, we're all yeah. sad about it because he just, just die. Uh, we just lost him. Yeah, know? we just lost Mick Goodrick a couple days ago. We were all together when that happened. Yeah, and, it was, and, and some of our dear friends on the faculty were with him when he passed away. And it just reinforces how important it is to be together in yeah, this, you know, guitar true. community. You know, it's like a yeah. part of all of us. Yeah. And yeah. that was a really beautiful thing about that. And then, then you mm -hmm. start realizing how what he gave to all of us and yeah. yeah. So and what's something that stands out to you like that you learned from him? From Mick. Oh yeah. my god. Just I mean, he used to just talk about kind of developing solos in some ways. And that's always kind of just that general idea of of pacing yourself. 
Pat used to talk about that a lot, uh, Matheny too. And um, John Laporta mm-hmm. used to talk about that. He also, John Laporta also said, who was an amazing, you know, we never played together, but as a teacher, he was very influential. Mm-hmm. And he just used to talk about time, how, how important time is. He yeah. said, you know, he had that voice of, did you know him at all, John Laporta? No. <coughs> no, I do. Don Corleone voice. It's almost like a horse kind of. It's, um, I don't want to offend anybody's religious sensibilities, but in the beginning, there was time. <laughs> and, and he was, he and he's, he's true when you think about it, you know. Yeah. So he, was, he was just an amazing teacher and, and kind of stressed a lot of things that are essential about music. That I learned a lot, but you know, listening to Miles every night—I mean, just hearing him play, how soulful he was, and how he would pick notes and and stuff like that was incredible. And you can't even describe it, but it's just the same thing as playing. Like sometimes Lainey and I are just playing together, and you hear something—I'll hear something she does—and it's just. Well, you learn from it right away. Wow, that's kind of cool, that rhythmic thing. And then maybe I'll stop and say, what is that? You know, I try to develop it my own way or outright steal it. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen you do that. I've yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You can take whatever you want. That's what we I think you stole from everybody here. Um, of course. And I'm like yesterday, to I believe so. you did. Um, and, and you're welcome. To steal. Yeah, thank you very uh, much. You're very welcome. Steal all you want. Come visit even more. Yeah. Um, so, Lainey, what about you? Who are some people you feel like you learned something important from? Well, Bill Frizzell, of mm. course. Uh, like the way he plays a melody. I was like, oh, what was that? Um, I learned a lot from the drummers I played with, of course, Paul Motion. Mm. You know, the way he dealt with time. I was very, very fortunate that him and Keith Jarrett got in a fight because, you know, yesterday somebody asked me, how did you end up with all these great musicians? Well, that's how I end up. They got like, they started into a fight and I was there and he had no job. And that's how I got Paul. Walsh. Yeah, when Paul, I mean, he was doing that as a labor of love. It wasn't like he was getting a lot of bread from that gig. He just wanted to, he wanted to. He play. just liked it. But no, you know what it was? Paul was like the coolest guy. I mean, you were paying him like $50 a night. No, I always paid him $100 and we came and picked him up and brought him back and set up his drop set for him. All he had to do is sit his ass on the stool and start playing. That's yeah. what it was. And but he had not one, but two girlfriends in their 20s that would come and were like, Paul, Paul, Paul. Like, so they loved him. And Paul liked to play with girls. He played with he played with me and he played with um what's her name? The piano player we just lost. Um I'm showing my age. <laughs> but he liked playing with women. Mm-hmm. He just enjoyed that much more. Like I don't know why, but he just like he liked girls. He was like he was like he was like a super cool guy. He was like a heartthrob. I mean, these twenty year olds they were fighting over him, mm-hmm. and, and 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 he said, and he invited both of them to the gig, and the rest of the band was saying like, "What's you got? We don't got that." <laughs> like, oh, like what the fuck? He got all the girls. So like that's how I I, I ended up. With him. He, liked to play. he liked your music, too. He really liked your music, your, your passion for music. There was some vibe. That he, he liked my songs. He liked 
he liked my songs. That was like, and thank God. You did that record. You did that record with him with Harvey. Yeah, S like Bill talked me into that too. He said, "You know, you should record that." And I said, "Oh, I couldn't." And he said, "What do you mean? We sound bad?" And then, like, you know, this is like psychological terror. Like, you think we don't sound good? I said, "No, no, no, no. You sound fabulous. You sound fabulous. Okay, okay. We'll make a." <laughs> <laughs> he kind of like tricked me into making Well, you made the record, but I guess who got you out of the bath? You were so scared. You didn't. You said, I said, Laney, it's time for the recording session. No, I'm staying in the bath. I'm staying. I remember that. But you, you had made to it. Say that. No, I locked myself in the bathroom and refused to come out. <laughs> I was so scared. And then he made me do it. Said, I paid for the studio. Right? If you don't come out, all hell's going to break loose. So I came out. <laughs> and I played the whole record. And then Bill said, you're going to have to get like distribution. So I like went to record. the first distribution guy and I said, like, I made a record. Would you like it? And he said, yes. <laughs> and then Bill said, like, wow, that's a miracle. I said, what do you mean it's a miracle? You sent me to go. You think it wasn't going to work and you sent me to do it anyway? And he said, no, I just didn't think it was going to work with the first guy you meet. But that was like Jim Snowden. He's not with us anymore. And he liked the record. And he also knew that there was like Paul Motion. They were like superstars of jazz. Larry Willis, Paul Motion, Harvey Paul Motion, Harvey Ford, Bill Fizzell. And Bob Berg was playing that. Yes, and Bob Berg. Who Her did his solo over? I know he wanted to do his solo over on. He wanted to fix something on. He always do it better. Always 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 great. Yeah. And Hiram Bullock produced the whole thing. Yeah, See, Hiram Bullock produced. That's it. amazing. Um, yeah. But it's just like all like you he know all like, like I was scared to death the whole time. You know, I wasn't going to come out of the bathroom. I was no, just going to stay there until the end of time. <laughs> I was not going to go. But but you said like. Uh, it's too late. You should have sort of out. Yeah, you're chicken down like I was at the time, and and then finally after you did a record, I actually wrote a ballad called "After You" for you because I said after you know I'm going to have to do a record after you know after you, dear, and you did it. You did the record. But you know, I had, I had written five scores. Huh? theater before i had written five scores for five theater plays before and i would hire other people to play it and i produced all the, the theater music so i knew what it took to get a band together and to produce it and to have that mm. put in the theater and you have that we recorded it we couldn't afford live musicians so we recorded that stuff and, and played it. and i played some of the easy guitar parts i played myself but for my theater music i had a lot of horn players a lot of percussion and a lot of piano and organ so to, it was not that unusual for me, just for me to be in the middle of that and play the guitar play and be the band in the life. That was different because all the film scoring work I had done, I was like hiding in my cubby hole. Yeah. And, and, and it was live, it was just recording. But if you if you come out and the first thing you say, you have to play. Joey Barron looking at Paul Motion and you're like, oh my God, Joey Barron. And you've got Larry Willis, you've got Larry Willis and Bob Berg and all these giants. Yeah, it's hard. But they were really, really nice to me. Yeah. They were really nice. There is no reason to be afraid of them. If you really are honest in your love for music, like all the musicians, they're going to dig that. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, but, as, you know, I know for myself, mm -hmm. I like all these students I heard, and they played fucking great. I'm happy, you know, 
it it makes you feel good when you see like a younger person following in your path and like with so much love and so mm. much enthusiasm. It's a good thing. There's a lot of things in the world that are not good, but that's good. Yeah, Mike, did you yeah. find that too? Did you find like you got some good support or were, when you were freaked out playing with different people when you were younger? Totally, totally. much more than my, and you know, when I have a tune that I think, oh, is this kind of suck? I'm not sure about this tune. And I'll play with somebody and if they, you know, I play the whole thing and then they'll give me, you know, say, it's cool, you know, it works and, or they like it a lot and it's, it's beautiful, you know, and, and it helps. Because mm. given to my, my own brain, I'm like already, it's you know it's it's terrible you know what i mean yeah and, and you know so you need to do that which brings us back to the same thing we were talking about how important it is to share the stuff in this kind of community especially where you've got all these other guitar players and all and and of course people are going to think you know that their friends are going to like uh, you know they'll be embarrassed in mm. front of their friends because they may not be able to play you know, the way they think they're supposed to be able to play. But most of the time you get the opposite. You really get support. And most of the time, not always, but it's something you got to get used to. There's some people who are just like going to nitpick or be kind of a little colder and not and not give as much support maybe. But 90% of the time you get what you need in terms of yeah. Well, you know, the thing is if you get really good, or if you get really lucky, like I got really lucky because I was just there and Bill wanted to play with Paul Motion mm -hmm. because he loved playing with Paul Motion and he made me hire Paul Motion. That was very selfish on his part. And Harvey wanted to play. Everybody wanted to play Paul Motion. So they sent me to get him, you know. Uh, but he wanted to. I know. But he, he liked it. He liked, he liked it. it. And, and, he, liked and it. he liked it so much better than he, he wouldn't have done it was a nitpicker of everything. We were just like happy with everything he played. But you know, people are going to get jealous. And I got like, and they start, they're going to really go to town yeah. and put you down. But you just got to tell yourself that's where that, you got to be. That stupid. has nothing to do with you, it has something right. to do with them. They are probably feeling bad about what they are doing. It has nothing to do with you. Right. And don't be afraid to get into somebody's face. You can just like go to somebody and say, like, what is your problem? Because usually people don't like to do it to your face. They say it behind your back. And you can come up to them and say, like, what have I done to you? Why are you running your mouth? You know, I didn't do that until I much, much, was much older. I just went home and cried in my corner when I heard about it. And somebody had the courtesy to inform me that everybody at the 55 was laughing about what I was doing. I went home and cried. And then I went back and said, who? <laughs> and then I told Dennis. <laughs> and I sick them on him. And next time they called Dennis, he said he's busy. So I said, okay. <laughs> I think that's good. I think it's good to remember that. You just got to in there and fight, you know? Yeah, you got to be It's not going to be okay. shitty if you're but, standing out. You know, you're standing most, out from the crowd, so you make yourself a target. So what? You're, yeah, and mo most of the time people get, you get past that part of it, and most people are supportive. You get plenty of, and sometimes you get both. When when I was playing with Kyle's, it was. When you're a woman, because people mm -hmm. feel like they can, like, like, get on women and nothing's gonna happen like you know if you know you're gonna insult a guy you kind of pretty much know that you're gonna get a fight but people think they can just like say nasty shit about women and they're not and nothing is gonna happen so that's mm -hmm. why i made sure something happened but you know 
But, well, you know, that's the reality of it. People yeah. think that uh, we're just a pretty decoration of the pie, but we are the pie. <laughs> so, And don't you think, too, that it's okay, like you'll have negative experiences with people and, and it yeah. is what it is. And then you have positive experiences. And then as you grow and you develop, you get to choose more and more who you work with. Yeah. And, 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 and positive people. And, and, you know, what we're trying to do together here with all of us who've been through this program is try to make it as positive as possible. The thing is that the positivity is, it's definitely here in this, yeah. in this situation, amazingly in, in mm -hmm. Berkeley, which is great. Everybody's trying to focus on that, which is great. So it's a good, it's, it's, it's good to, teach that and to have that vibe so people can carry that elsewhere you know because it's so yeah. important and what i've noticed is maybe maybe you know just in general i'm pretty sure this is accurate that there's more uh there's more support nowadays there's more kind of um kind of uh you know, being able to relate to, to some of the hardest stuff that you're trying to, you know, the anxiety and the nervousness of trying to be creative and trying to write a tune and trying to, that kind of thing. You get more, there's not maybe quite as much nasty stuff. Uh, I mean, there's tons of it on Facebook and stuff like that sometimes. Not so much that, you know, that like the, generally the positive outweighs the negative by a, country mile you know like a lot i think oh for sure at the end of the day but just by able to you know have your music played you know and you got a gig you just got to go and not worry about whatever negative happens there's much more positive right and it, it's way worth it you know what i mean all the time but um like when i was first playing with miles whew, I got my ass kicked by, I, there were two different camps. There were some people that said, wow, cool, a rocker who's playing jazz and playing, you know, and Miles dug that. He wanted me to turn up, said, turn up and play like Hendrix, you know. Mm -hmm. He just didn't want me to, be, he didn't want me to bebop that much. And I would do some, and he liked the fact that I did it, but he wanted loud. Turn up, play loud. So I, I he was the boss, so I followed. <laughs> I said, yeah, okay. And uh, but there were a lot of critics at that time that were just in the, you know, kind of this was kind of a new thing, you know, still had been done by Miles earlier, but it was a little bit more new, you know. So I got my ass kicked quite a bit at, at first, you know, with Miles and the whole band did. And then later people found, you know, Miles was always way way ahead of his time. So people, now you listen, they listen to that record and some of that, you know, like, we want Miles, that recording, and people really dig it. You know, it's like, and then, and there were a lot of people that were my age at that time that were digging it. Right. But some of the older critics were not thrilled. So you just have to deal with it. You just have to, you know, Miles used to say, and he told me a bunch of stories when he first came to New York and he said people were, critics were dogging him like crazy and, right. and other people. And he just said, you know, in his own, you know, you can't say it. I mean, I, I guess I could say it the way he would say it. Say, 
fuck them motherfuckers. You know, I mean, he was, he just said, you got to keep going, you know. And, and, and well, because he, he played with Bird when he came, he and Bird. Dizzy had been with Bird, so right, you know, people were going to compare. Oh, them. he got his ass kicked, yeah. He told me he got his ass because yeah. the sound, and yeah, people were con- just saying his sound wasn't good. This is Miles Davis, who has an amazing what it may not be classically trumpet, you know, that mm. type of sound, mm-hmm. but whatever he got out of that horn was you know, smoking, it was beautiful. Right. And uh, yeah, and he got dog for that a lot. And then there was a whole bunch of stuff just about jazz in general from the classical world, which is disappearing some, but it's still there somewhat. You must know that, right, Kim? Yeah, sure. So you have to live with it. You have to live with the negative stuff. But the positive stuff is, is, is it my imagination or is it just way, way more than the negative? Much more support than than detracting even but it though it comes from different places sometimes like i was always supported by the press mm. i got really stellar reviews and um all along from the first record on i had like good coverage in downbeat and jazz and all the magazines all the journalists mm. were much more progressive than uh the club owners and the and the well it was really cool music too but but yeah but i know and the club owners they wanted more people but the, the press did not take advantage of the fact that there was a woman band leader the club owner right. says if they had a bad day who are they gonna pick pick on somebody like your size or somebody like my size they just thought they would get away with it and they thought if they pick on you you take your telecast and bonk them over the head with it which is what probably would have happened I did it several thousand times. No, I didn't. But uh, but no, what, what, uh, but I think I got the same kind of thing. I one thing I did was just you know somebody had a club and and sometimes the guy would be disrespectful or drag or when I just said it's a jazz gig. You know there aren't that many, so I just hung in there. I right. just played it. That's one of the reasons I still played at the fifty-five bar, and I could kind of see the writing on the wall that jazz clubs might not be all, you know, be as many around, uh, you know, later in the year. So I said, let me just hang on to this, no matter what, because the first club owner was really weird at that place, so we had to take a lot of. And Delaney kept saying, you know, let's get it. Stop playing there. It's crazy. And I said, well, it's a gig. What the hell? I mean, I don't care as long as we get a chance to play. And it worked out kind of. Um, but, you know, I also went to other clubs. And surprise, surprise, they were not much nicer. You know? <laughs> it's a hard gig. It's a hard job. It's a hard job all the way around. So sometimes people are in bad moods or for whatever right. reason. But, you know, that's some of the hard stuff to work past but the other stuff is the people that are other musicians that are generally really they understand from the vantage point of of their own experience that this stuff is going to happen and that you can get through that way you know what i mean and um which is great one thing i'm i'm not a big fan of is youtube and comments coming from people without them having to put their real names mm-hmm. right what's up with that how come they don't oh, change yeah. it? that seems so uh you know you have to do it if you're a critic you have to put your real name mm-hmm. at least they right. gotta do that mm-hmm. this is chicken shit where you can you can say some nasty stuff mm-hmm. and you know what i mean and get away with it like haha 
You know, I, I used to throw water bombs at cars when I was little because, you know, with shaving cream in it. And I'd we'd throw a water bomb or, you know, and it would explode on somebody's windshield. We didn't know how dangerous it was. We were little kids. Finally, my parents caught me and I got had no TV yeah. for, you know, a year. <laughs> That's why you practice. That's why you started practicing. That's why you started practicing. Yeah. This got me into the guitar. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. No, look like it. So, listen, Ian, you always have a question. And so you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to ask each person your question, um, which maybe you all have already answered, but I think it's really important. So, Ian, go, go. It's all you. Yeah. So uh, there's something we ask everybody on this show, which is um, what's something that students should be thinking about that they might not think to ask, like maybe a bit of a blind spot that like maybe they should take advantage of when they're here at Berkeley? Hmm, good question. Like, what's one of the things you wish you knew when you were a student? Like, more composition. I wish I'd done. And to be honest, I'd wish I'd taken a few more just straight ahead courses in something else than music. More, more like just whatever else they're teaching here. But at that time, there was nothing like that. Mm -hmm. It was just Berkeley College of Music. That was it. They had a few uh, electives that I guess you could take regular regular stuff but i i never did that so much I okay you heard it here on coffee wait, 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 wait. From, from mike stern yeah take and enjoy your liberal arts classes yeah some <laughs> history <laughs> good i mean it's all good for your brain and for your for music and it's all connected you know so uh whatever you can do at, at school uh, take advantage of it and try to do more than you do take on more if you know I, I don't want it to be a slave driving you know the situation where you're just clobbering yourself and overdoing stuff you want to try to have fun with the learning experience and you don't want to take on too much but i've i wish i'd done a, a bit more just a little bit more in some other areas i was basically focusing on instrumental performance so it was guitar basically. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I'd taken a couple more writing courses like Lainey did, or liberal arts even. Yeah. Conservative arts for that matter. No. <laughs> um, Lainey, what about you? What, what should they be thinking about that they're not thinking about yet? They should be going to the percussion department and take that as an elective so they just think about it. When I was in school, that's a cool idea. Like, we we could take and especially as like you know film scoring majors are allowed to go everywhere and take a class because we should be knowing about the instruments we write for. So I took really? is that one? Yeah, they they they. If you are in this film scoring program, you can like take any. I don't know if it's still like that. I don't know if it's still like that. But, but you should do like it anyway. You could you, you could just anyway. take you could just take a class. So I took a percussion class because like, you know, all this like being that I'm from Germany, I was like super uh, self-conscious about the swinging and the rhythm. And so because like, you know, in Germany, in classical music, that is not like something we train. So I took a percussion class in the basement and it was great. So I would suggest you take, you can also take a drum class, but I, I studied drums actually also, but it's like a lot of technique that you have to learn. Like you have to learn like paradiddles with your hands, with both things. And it doesn't hurt your playing. And, and um, if you want to, you can take a drum class too. 
and 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 any of them, anything that makes you focus on only rhythm and time. So I I wish I had taken uh, three of those classes. And um, I would also encourage you to go to the bass department and take a bass class because our bottom strings and a lot of the jobs you will get there, you won't have a bass player and you will be the bass player. Uh -huh. So if you can like play a good bass line, so like all the singer-songwriters are going to want to hire you. And the third thing is that I think you should take a vocal class. Mm -hmm. You should learn a little bit what your range is. You don't need to go like crazy with technique, um, but you should just... Um, Learn how to sing because, like, you know, one time I had like I needed a bass player, and like I, I played with all these people, and then I picked Tim Lefebvre. Tim Lefebvre, because he could sing, he mm. could sing behind the chorus. Like they were everybody was great, but Tim could also sing, and that's why I hired him. Because then I didn't have to hire a backup singer, and I got paid a hundred dollars for the gig. So how am I gonna pay three people? I mean, two people. So so I would say those things, percussion, bass, and voice. Learn how to do that. You don't have to, you know, there's even a category. You don't have to become a singer, but you should be able to sing in tune and come up with a nice backup part. And you're going to be working forever. And like, you know, figure out how to play a good bass line. And I, I don't think you should just like try to play bass on the guitar. Go to the bass department, play a little bass and see, mm. um, what that does to your guitar playing. Most of it, it will teach you how to leave more space. It's because great. in the bass range, you can't clutter it because that those low notes, they don't sound good if they're like juggled together. And you learn how to like hang with the note you play. That's great. Um, Cheryl, what's on your mind as we're coming to the end of our oh, call? I, thank you guys. Thank you both for your great energy and positive work with the students and and really opening up about real things about what it's really like to be an a, a artist and a guitarist and a composer and a band leader i mean these are real this is real life stuff so you're very open with everybody and i and i know our students really need to see that from their role models so thank you guys thank you yeah ian, this is fun ian what about you what are you thinking about as we wrap it up yeah i mean i'm just really happy to hear, like, you know, it's a lot of the same things that we hear from other folks. I mean, some great stories, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the concerns that the issues that students have, that musicians out there who are listening might have to hear, you know, their heroes basically um, talking about working through those is really great mm -hmm. and encouraging you to enjoy practicing and take liberal arts. <laughs> and take know, liberal arts. I love that. You know, I was thinking this week has been this really special week to have you both here. And it's also been a really hard week um, because as many of you who are listening know, we lost Mick Goodrick this week. We talked about that a little earlier in this hang. And um, it was so good to be together with you both. It's been great. I want to mention also that this friend of ours that we all know, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so many of Mick's friends really hanging out and helping. being together and helping and uh, really feeling like um, this big Berkeley guitar family yeah. is so important to us. And I was remembering all these things you know, about Mick. Mick used to come and stay with us in New York and he wrote this whole book of triads. 
and then I went to lunch with him and Paul Motion, and they were like reminiscing about their tours, and they couldn't remember the city or the country where they had been. Remember or everybody's the name, like, you know, where like, was the like, or like who do you play this? Like, what was his name? Oh <laughs> <my> God! <laughs> but they were touring so much right. that they couldn't like is it italy it must be monday it's france isn't it mick so that's how oh they, my God. it wasn't touring that but much no. mick wasn't touring that much did I he? Mean, it used to be. yeah he was it's touring. Really and then maybe it's at different times at different like times. early on yes he was doing a much i first saw gary burton with mick and pat in Germany. oh yeah yeah they were touring about uh, yeah that was a great band pat yeah. was playing 12 swing and mick was playing normal guitar yeah that's amazing. I remember that. Yeah. We're going to keep hanging and keep having coffee. And this is so awesome to have you guys here and have you guys on this. Um, it really is a big, great Berkeley guitar family. Thank so thank you for being here. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, and my pleasure. That's big. Thank you, Lainey, and thank you, Cheryl. Thank Jen, you, Cheryl. Thank you, Ian. Um, and uh, we'll be with all the rest of you on the next Coffee Talk. Mm -hmm.